Hello, and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. With your host, Kenneth Bocor. This episode was recorded on July 7th, 2023. This episode of the EV Revolution Show is sponsored by File Sanctuary. Need a great web host for your business? Need to get email at yourdomain.com? They provide professional, feature-rich web and email hosting for any project you have in mind. Get started today at filesanctuary.net forward slash cloud and save 10% with promo code EVREVSHOW. All right, and thanks for tuning in to this edition of the EV Revolution Show. As you heard, my name is Kenneth Bocor, your host, and for another intelligent episode, because as you know, I always scour the planet for smart people to talk to about things going on within the electric vehicle landscape. And I'm, I'm really stoked to have uh, this guest on for this time, kind of a little bit different. We're going to talk about some interesting points that are relevant for most people, but this company is doing some really cool things. I'd like to introduce uh, Kate Harrison. Kate Harrison is the co-founder and head of marketing at Move EV, and it's a my understanding is the first of its kind EV transition company powered by AI. I love hearing AI. As long as you don't give them the launch codes, we're good. Uh, back green tech solutions that help organizations and municipalities convert fleets and employee-owned gas vehicles to electric and take advantage of all kinds of incentives. So we're going to dig in a little bit more into that. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. And again, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Really appreciate that. And uh, what I'd like to do is maybe first, if you could tell the listeners a little bit about Move EV. I gave uh, kind of the the standard corporate's uh, first uh, elevator pitch, but maybe you could expand on that for us. Sure. Move EV, as you said, is a company that's helping organizations and municipalities convert their fleet vehicles and employee vehicles over to gas vehicles. Um, sorry, over from gas vehicles to electric. Yeah. Um, but our biggest effort right now is really around reimbursing employees for charging at home. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm hoping we're going to dig into that later on this show. Um, we but are. that's a big piece of making EVs viable today and making sure that people are incentivized properly to make the transition and get the most from the vehicles they have. Absolutely correct. You know, the, the financial modeling aspect of EV ownership is, is becoming more and more critical, you know, as we get deeper into the electrification movement, you know, the early adopters were more, you know, uh, about the environment and about doing their and, and technology driven and this kind of the newness of it. But, you know, um, one of the things that I do is I do a lot of public outreach um, uh, in addition to the YouTube channel and part of nonprofit organizations that do a lot of, you know, EV, we have an EV society here in Canada, similar to the EVA in the US. And I, I run a chapter, I do do a lot of shows and, and events and conferences and whatever. And I have this EV 101 talk that I do. And it's, it's it, you know, the, I think the most important um, aspects of EV ownership now are getting into the financial modeling, you know, because they are a bit more. And we're going to talk about that in in some of the um, the gathering and the compiling of studies that you've done to to focus on some of the, uh, the major concerns. Uh, consumer fear. So I certainly understand that that's a major thing. And especially when you're dealing with fleets and public entities, uh, I mean, that's that's a huge windfall for them, correct? Yeah, you raise a really great point, which is just that the price of EVs has come down so much over the last few years. And there's still a pretty significant public misconception that EVs are a luxury item. And that definitely was the case, right? When Tesla came out, most people 
couldn't afford a Tesla. Mm -hmm. um, but this is actually the year when the average cost of a new EV will be the same as the average cost of a gas vehicle, right? It's about $65,000. And there are a lot of EV models that come in well under that. So you're going to see, you know, GM's Equinox and the Leaf are coming out around 30, VW's mm -hmm. got one coming out in the 40s. So, and then in the US, you layer in up to 10,000 plus dollars of tax credits, and suddenly the, the price point of those becomes extremely economical. Yeah, very attractive. And I, and I know that you're quoting US dollar figures for MSRPs and estimates. In Canada, you know, we have a national incentive of 5,000, which many vehicles qualify. I keep this large spreadsheet of all uh, electric vehicles that are available, uh, only electric vehicles that are available for sale or pre-order or, or very, coming very soon in Canada. And uh, about it's about 150 lines long, and that's trims and models within trims. And over half of those qualify for our $5,000 national federal incentive that we have. And then we have a lot of the provinces and territories that offer state or provincial incentives. Um, and in Quebec, as an example, you can get $11,000 off uh, when you combine the two and stack them. So it can be very attractive. And it's interesting that you said your average vehicle price point, because uh, in Canada last year, the LDV market price point was around 58000 and change. And, you know, I, I talked to consumers here and they go, really, it's that much? I said, yeah, that's what people are spending on new vehicles across the board. Most of, obviously, the, the top vehicles being SUVs and pickups, right? And I'm sure it's similar in the U.S. But you mentioned 65 thousand is that is that is that correct yeah that's that's currently the average but you know the other thing that i think is really important here is the total cost of ownership right mm -hmm. so that's the sticker price and so when you start and this is when we're talking about consumer education around evs mm -hmm. we're not really trained to look at total cost of ownership for vehicles in our society and so you know when you start looking at the gas and the maintenance savings you know, you're saving thousands and thousands of dollars a year running that vehicle. So the actual total cost of ownership of EVs is way lower, even if the MSRP sticker price is the same out the gate. And I think another really interesting point that comes out of that is that we're starting to see a much more robust used EV market. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's where <laughs> I haven't talked about this that much, but I'm working on a post about this right now. I actually went out and I bought a, a 2012 Nissan Leaf. Good for just, you. Wow. Just to run around town yeah. with. Yeah. Uh, it was $7,000. And then I am also qualified for the tax credit. So that car is going to pay for itself in like a year and a half. I'll be at $0 on what that car costs me. So, you know, I think that when we're talking about, price fear. It's more about education, understanding, and then also thinking about those alternatives. You know, most, a lot of people don't buy a new car. And so, you know, looking at that used price market is really uh, also a huge opportunity. Absolutely correct. You know, we've obviously seen the fluctuations with, with post COVID on the used market um, with, you know, with prices going higher than they should be relatively speaking and EVs even higher uh, from a, from a, uh, a you know a resale perspective, but you know, we're starting to see a softening in that now as as more new inventory becomes available again, and things are leveling. I mean, I think 
you know, interest rates are certainly uh, becoming a bearing factor on on auto purchases. But you're absolutely right. That total cost of ownership, you know, and one of the one of the um, uh, barriers to adoption that that we're going to talk about, or fear, consumer fears, is that sticker shock, right? But when you really factor in all those numbers, and it's interesting that you brought up a great point. You know, I guess I never thought about it, but I guess when we were shopping for ICE vehicles in the past, as we have been for many, many for decades, I guess it was really just you know what features and what what form factor, what functions do we want in a vehicle? And yeah, we'd look at MPG as as a potential factor, but it was really I think a lot of people were centered around my what what can what what can I get my monthly payment at, right? They're kind of focused on the financial. Would you still say that that's kind of a main driver today? I think that the finances are definitely a factor, you know, of course, but I think you're going to find that when you're looking at EVs, there are other factors that people care about, maybe equally or more than finances. So, and I think we'll get into some of this too, Mm -hmm. but like how far does that car go on a single charge? How quickly can it charge? Um, I think just the the size of that EV and what you're trying to accomplish with it, right? If you're someone who's into trucks, you know, mm-hmm. is it yeah. tell what you need to tell. Exactly. Uh, you know, it opens up a lot of other places where people need to be like getting a new level of education, right? You have to learn about charging. It's new. Yeah. So there are a lot of questions I think people have beyond just the cost of EVs that we're, you and I and people like us, right? We're trying to constantly get out there and, and help everyone understand what this new fandangled situation is, right? Because it is different. It certainly is different. And, you know, I try to calm people with the real the realistic approach that this movement is a decades long movement right there's there's so many vehicles out there in the global fleet that you know even though some OEMs have stated they're all in by certain times or they're going to stop investing in production of internal combustion vehicles that's going to take some time and and you know some of that may happen some of that may not happen even in that those productions so this is a long long game that we're going for but I think you and I both feel that there is a sense of urgency now for consumers to start really thinking about EVs, that seeing how it can fit into their into their everyday use, um, because we, we kind of have to step up our efforts on climate change, combating that and 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 all the greenhouse gas emissions and and the consumer vehicle marketplace is roughly about 20% of that overall piece of the pie, you know, 18 to 20 from what I understand. So it's a significant area that we as consumers actually have a, a direct impact on. You know, I don't think you and I can really control deforestation or how cement is made or or agriculture or all these other things that contribute to global greenhouse gas emissions. We can we can try to do some things, but we have a direct impact, uh, a, a very uh, a poignant direct impact on what we drive and what that emits into the atmosphere and how that impact is on, uh, uh, on, on the environment. Uh, so, you're absolutely right. You know, sticker shock is one thing that we can combat, but as you said, you know, total cost of ownership. But when you start breaking that down, it's a really good. Uh, uh, it becomes a very positive thing for consumers. And you know, it's it's interesting. The before I uh, joined Movie V and really got into this, I was looking at other startups in the decarbonization space, right? And I was thinking about, you know, do I want to, I was part of this community called Air Miners, and it's all about tech sucking carbon out of the environment. And I just found myself thinking, like, let's not focus on removing it. Let's focus on not putting it up, mm-hmm. right? And when you really look at that, exactly what you said is right, right? In the, again, and I only 
focus on the United States because that's our base. But I mean, we have 150 million people in the U.S. commuting alone in their vehicles, right? That's 75% of our workforce. That's about a fifth of all of our emissions. And, you know, each of those cars is putting up 4.6 tons of carbon. So like you said, it's it's such uh, the tech is here. I think that's the thing. We don't have to make anything mm-hmm. new. The tech is here. The EVs are here and they're fabulous. People who people who have EVs love EVs, right? They don't leave you. 98% are never going back. It's like they love EVs because they really see how great they are and they're fun to drive and all the other reasons, you know, we'll talk about. But it's just such a simple transition. Once you make it, there's a, you know, there are barriers to entry because mm-hmm. they're new to learn. And it like I said, it's it can be intimidating. But once you make that switch, you see like it's such a great way to cut your personal carbon. There's no other choice you could make, you know, cutting out meat or, you know, the other things that individuals can do. Driving an EV has a massive impact on your carbon footprint. So it's a really, it's a nice consumer focused solution that has many other upsides, right? Exactly. And that was my, uh, that was my personal motivator for getting into EVs. My first EV was a 2018 Nissan Leaf, the 40 kilowatt, and it was really the environmental play. Uh, I only kind of started to realize the benefits financially and operationally and drivability and all these other things after I got into it. So yes, I was doing some YouTube prior to that, but really you don't really know, know that experience until you get into it. And uh, that was my motivator. So absolutely right. I'm going to steal that lower your personal carbon element. I like that. I hadn't heard that before. So I'm going to start using that if you don't mind. I think that that's a great, great way to summarize this. And you're absolutely correct. This is a powerful way. Now, we talked about, you know, overcoming some of the price hurdles and some of the fears around sticker shock, but you kind of segued into the range aspect. You know, that's kind of the other barrier to EV adoption that we hear less now. It's, I think it's becoming less and less as the table stakes move up the ladder. You know, before it was 150 miles and 45 minute charging. Now it's 300 miles and 30 minute charging. So, you know, as kind of the, the new base norm plus or minus there. Um, so well, what has your compilation of studies uh, found about range anxiety? And really, is there such a thing as range anxiety? Yeah, range anxiety is still very real. Um, And I think, again, I think a lot of it comes back to a lag in consumer knowledge, right? That that there is still this sense that EVs don't go that far when in reality, like you said, you know, the average is getting over 300 miles now. Some go up to 400. And if I asked you how far the average gas car can go, I don't even think people don't even really think about that. I don't know, you know. <laughs> they like, don't, you're, you're right. Because right. they know there's a gas station on every corner almost. Right? Yeah, so. And the answer is that they, they go yeah. about 400. So EVs yeah. are now within in that range and the striking distance is the same as gas. And um, there's a big push in the US on public charging, right? So that's that's really the biggest fear. People are worried they'll go out, there won't be a charging station. And I would say there are still pockets of the United States where that is, real, but there might not be a fast charger. Uh, We have about 50,000 public charging stations. We have many, many, many thousands more that are under development as we speak. There's a billion dollars going to it or something like that. Part of the IRA and and the Biden administration, 500,000 chargers this decade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this is where I also think there's a fundamental mindset change that needs to happen. So that's when we talk about um, one of the biggest products that we're focused on right now at Move EV is a a product we just launched called Reimburse EV. 
And what that is, is a way for employees who are driving fleet vehicles in particular. So, you know, maybe you work for a medical company, they've given you a Tesla. Um, it allows you to charge that Tesla at home and get reimbursed for the real cost of electricity. Mm. So the reason that we're so focused on that is because people undervalue the benefits of home charging. Mm. So home charging, first, so first of all, most people are driving, even, even fleet drivers are driving less than 70 miles a day. You'll have to do the kilometer <laughs> conversion. Yeah, 100, 100 and change, you know, something like that. Yeah, so... Yeah. You know, if you are really driving that a day, you can go, I can show you this graphic. Maybe you can share it and if there's a way to put it in the podcast. But um, we have a graphic that shows if you do that every single day and you charge at home, not even with a fast charge, like a level two charger, if you just trickle charge that car overnight, you can drive all week long without running out of charge. So it's really only when you're going on, you know, a road trip or something that's truly out of town, you know, that you're going to be dry. How many, how many times do you actually drive 200, 300 miles in a day? Mm. Most people, the people who have the range anxiety, right? Yeah, exactly. Not doing that kind of driving. And when you are, the chance of you being able to find a fast charger within that radius is actually very high, right? Mm. You may have to take a 10 minute detour. But the truth is you may have to take a 10 minute detour to go to a gas station if you're on a highway anyway. So mm -hmm. it's really about, um, you know, becoming more comfortable and also being more aware of how you actually use your vehicle mm -hmm. versus the hypothetical of how you might use your vehicle. So that's I try to get people just to do some graphing. Like if you're thinking about an EV, look every day. Look, how many did I actually drive today? How many days this month did I go over 200 miles? You'll be surprised how an EV might fit much more comfortably into your lifestyle and reality than it does, you know, in your uh, nervous mind about change, right? Absolutely correct. You know, you're you're echoing a lot of the, the sentiments that I talk about with a lot of consumers. It's certainly true. It really is, you know, looking at, at your own specific use case. And you're absolutely right. When you start peeling those layers away, people realize, yeah, I'm really not putting that much mileage on and you know yeah going to grandma's house in in Kentucky you know once a year or going to Florida once a year uh that's that's something that we can overcome either with an EV today or if you're really in anxiety about it then you can just rent a gas car or take a gas car uh, if you're saving yeah. $3000 a year on gas <laughs> yeah. you can put a couple hundred into that gas car for your one trip you know it's like that's exactly. an interim yeah. solution <laughs> So. And, and, and I do the same thing. I think home charging is so underestimated. That's kind of the, the leader. That's the gold nugget right now is the ability to home charge. You know, I, I tell people in my presentations that I use this 400 for, for five um, statement and they go, what's that? I said, I, you can do 400 kilometers on five bucks of home charging. Uh, we're lucky in Ontario. Our, our rates are about seven and a half cents per kilowatt. Really cheap rates. Even if you pad that a little bit, even that 10 would be high, 10 cents for the off-peak time, which most people charge at. So, you know, to put... Uh, you know, to put 60 kilowatts back into a 75 or something, I mean, you know, six bucks or less, right? It really is that cheap. And nobody's really full charging. They're they're topping up or they're going from 40 to 80 or 40 to 90. So it really is that cheap. And, and when you compare that to gas, it just blows people's mind. And we're actually, we're introducing a two and a half cent rate now 
for wow. some ultra, ultra low um, Zev kind of rates. So I tell people that could be like a medium, you know, double, double at a coffee place or something. It's a, it's that cheap. So I think that that's a great um, point that you make that, you know, home charging and, you know, 80% in Canada, anyway, 80% of our population live within about two or 300 miles of the U.S. border, right? We're along the Southern part of, of Canada from a population. So yes, there are going to be elements in Northern and you have to look at those use cases, but, but there's already what I call a lot of low hanging fruit where people live in, in a townhouse or a semi or a detached home that have the ability to have an external plug, even a level one, as you mentioned, which could make, which can make perfect sense. And uh, in Canada, we have 8 million of those types of or eight or 9 million of those types of homes. And we're, we've only adopted to date. I think we have about 400,000 plug-ins on the road in Canada out of a LD uh, light duty vehicle fleet of about 20 million. So we got a long way to go to convert that over. Not sure how those numbers are in the U.S., but I'm sure it's probably fairly disparate like that too. Yeah, I don't, I don't have those numbers in front mm. of me, but I'm sure it's similar. And I think, um, you know, just adding to what you were saying about the individuals, I think one of the, one of the reasons Movie V focuses on, like we said, municipalities and organizations is that it's not just changing consumers' minds, right? It's it's changing the way municipalities and organizations are thinking about charging too, because for yes. a lot of them, that is a big hurdle, mm-hmm. right? So if I'm a company and I don't want to install 50 fast chargers on my property, I may be delaying switching to EVs. But if you suddenly look at your employees' homes as an opportunity to, you know, every home can be a gas station with EVs. That's amazing. Yep. They are, absolutely. So that's part of kind of changing the the cultural mindset as well, right? Absolutely correct. You know, and I'm and I love that you're focusing on that because they are great examples when consumers see municipal fleets, you know, out and about and they're all electrics or or other uh organizations that are driving them. It's just proving out again that technology, right? You start seeing the the bright drop, you know, UPS and FedEx trucks and Purelator trucks out and about doing their runs or the Amazon trucks, right, from partly from Rivian. Um, that just proves that this stuff, these are out there every day as workhorses doing their routes and they're not idling. They're not breaking down. They're starting when it's minus 20 degrees Fahrenheit, right? There's no issues with there. Um, so they're proving that technology and hopefully that's helping consumers get uh, feel you know more comfortable in looking at adopting that. Yeah. And I think case studies are so helpful. You know, I recently was interviewing a police officer here in a very uh, rural small county mm-hmm. he had switched all his electric vehicles over to teslas just for monetary savings he mm-hmm. needed more budget he realized he could do it and he was saving t- thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a year he, so much so that he was able to add another officer to his fleet wow which was very neat but one mm-hmm. of the things he was telling me was that you know half of their day is just educating people about evs you know people pull up next to them and are like what's that car you know how much did that cost and he's like oh no actually you know much less than you would think and all the great things about it you know so I think there is that you know municipal um and county and whatever the territory employees Mm -hmm. driving everything you know utilities for just the more on the road the more right it's about exposure and it's about understanding that yeah these are just vehicles doing what vehicles do, which is move people around exactly. in various ways, right? Helping Ex- do the job. Exactly. And, 
it, it's great to see all the different elements of electrification happening, not just in consumer vehicles, but in, like you said, workforces, a utility, all kinds of different areas that are happening, boats, personal watercraft, I mean, on and on and on, it just it continues to happen. So I, I think we've, we've, we've uh, handled the, the range anxiety side, you know, uh, with a combination of, of the technology today that EVs are coming with, with really good base miles and kilometers of range, with good fast charging, good charging capabilities, and the abundance of chargers that have, have you know, I, I'm not sure how the growth is from 2012, but certainly there's chargers all over the place. The thing about charging is that sometimes they're hidden. They're in back corners of Walmart parking lots or malls or stuff. So, you know, getting apps like PlugShare or other free apps to help define those. Most of the OEMs are really good at mapping in charging um, uh, in providers uh, as well to their nav systems and incorporating that in. You know, Tesla kind of is, is the gold bar there as far as integration to their uh, supercharging network. But, you know, so hopefully people are, are understanding, listening to this, that range anxiety really is, is it can be there depending on your use and where you live and where you're going. But for most, you know, of the population in, in modern areas, including Europe and, and Asia PAC and other areas, there's an abundance of charging infrastructure. And every week I'm seeing announcements about more, more funding and more plans for more charging in all kinds, in parks and in other elements that we wouldn't have seen before. So I think that they can take a, a sense of relief that charging infrastructure will continue to grow. You know, Ken, I just, I, I don't have the study in front of me, but I did just read recently that something like 40% of EV owners still have a gas vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. They hang on. I actually don't think that's terrible either. Like if you're thinking about it, get an EV, keep your gas car for a few months, try to use just the EV and see how it goes. You know, you don't have to let go of the, like a monkey swing <laughs> from a tree. You don't have to let go of the branch until you're totally comfortable. I think that's okay too, you know. A great point. And, you know, I I say that as uh, similar that I walk around my neighborhood with, you know, standard, almost cookie cutter kind of subdivision here, uh, just north of, of Toronto, where I live. And uh, there's two, three, four cars in every driveway. So, you know, if you don't want to take your primary vehicle, then get electrify a secondary vehicle that you're using for running around or, or just back and forth to work. And you're right, get your feet wet, you know, try it with just trickle charging. If that then maybe make an investment in a level two at home, you'll be surprised and how easy it is you know people ask me how long does it take to charge and i say 10 seconds they say what i said yeah it's just plug it in and i walk away it's like my my, my <laughs> iphone or my ipad i put it away and i wake up in the morning it's ready to go again so what's what's the problem yeah. all right well i'm stealing that from you i love that please <laughs> please take it could be even less if i'm fast enough so That's hopefully so listeners this that aren't, aren't familiar with EVs are taking some relief in understanding that, you know, range anxiety, yes, you need to look at your situation, but for the vast majority of, of folks, it's not an issue anymore. You know, I, I've been driving, I have a Model 3 prior to that, I had a Nissan Leaf. Uh, I put 45,000 kilometers on the Leaf in two years. I put 65,000 on the Tesla in, in just over two years. That Which means I'm driving the vehicle. It's our primary vehicle. We go everywhere. We take long trips everywhere. And it's just, I don't even think about it. Don't worry about it, that it's an EV. Uh, in some others, you know, uh, instances, you might have to plan a little bit. It's almost like driving with kids. You kind of plan a little bit more, a little bit more thought about your routes, especially if you're going into, uh, you know, more, more rural areas that might not have enough infrastructure, but there are apps and there are ways to help you navigate that. And then if you have a gas car, then take that if you want once in a while, but you'll be surprised. Um, you know, that kind of ties in then, uh, let's, before we get into operating, you know, about uh, one of the comments you guys had in your summary was uh, operating EVs is on a two 
intuitive. I want to talk about the environmental concerns because we know that most early adopters, you know, were were uh, what people will say tree huggers, and I get that all the time. And you know, yeah, the, the technology leaders, but. Uh, I do get this a lot that people have this misconception and this the FUD that's out there that EVs are actually worse for the environment because of the mining and the, the you know power comes from coal and all this kind of stuff. What has your your summary of research shown about the environmental concerns? Yeah, so I will let me just first say that misconception is still very much alive and well. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, I'm surprised every day we get comments on our Facebook page and Instagram. You know fine child labor, you know, it's like, okay, all right, let's like try to construct this a little bit. Um, I think it's important. Let's, let's break it down kind of by segment of those types Mm -hmm. of concerns. And Um, frame it by the way, Kate, in, in, in the whole wheel to well or cradle to grave aspect, because people tend to not, not look at that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So often what I'll say is, especially when they're like, you know, they're, they're worse for the environment to create. And it's like, yes, that is true. They have a larger battery. And so they take more energy and materials to make an EV of the same size. So if they are sitting on the lot, you are correct. That EV took more everything, right? However, and this is a study that was funded in part by Ford, no matter what kind of energy that EV is then pulling from, the environmental savings tip over into the EV's favor within two years, two to three years max, depends on how large the car is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the vast majority of environmental impact is not in the creation of a car. It's in the driving of the car. Mm-hmm. And so very, very quickly, EVs are always, even if you're leasing an EV, within the time frame of your lease, you will have had a more a positive impact on the environment than if you were leasing a gas car because it's that short of a turnaround. So that's the first thing. Um, the other thing is part of that is, you know, where is your EV drawing its power from? Power is very uh, disaggregated, at least here in the United States, right? We have a lot of different types of power companies. We're using lots of different types of energy. It depends on your state, your region, your local utility. So, you know, we have everything from 100% coal to 100% solar to 100% wind and mixes all in between. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, again, it, it's it's interesting to go digging in the data. But what you find is even in the what I would call like the worst environmental case scenario. So even if you're burning pure coal, right, you're still doing 30% better because it's because of the way it's being burned and cleaned at the source right before it's distributing to the vehicle. So there's the scrubbers and stuff on the coal plants. So it's still better for the environment, really under every and all condition. Um, the the second comment around lithium, right? It's always about lithium and mm-hmm. child labor. That's kind of, mm-hmm. and I have two pieces on that. So or maybe even three. So the first one is the battery technology is getting better and changing. And so there are they're moving away from lithium. First of all, it's a very small component of the battery already, but you know the battery tech is getting better, and we're going we're moving away from those materials. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two is the people who say that I'm always like, yeah, but there's a battery in your gas car. There's a battery in your computer. There's a battery in your phone. That uh, anti EV statement. Mm-hmm about battery concerns and mining 
is actually about all technology. It's not specific to EVs. And so to use that to not get an EV, it doesn't make sense because it has all these other environmental benefits that you're not factoring in, right? Mm -hmm. And then the third thing around that is, you know, child labor is horrible. It's horrible. And we should be, we need to take care of it. And there are a lot of other industries that deal with this, right? Chocolate is a huge issue with child labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hershey has been boycotted for years because of using and diamonds. And the way that we handle that as a society is usually to have some kind of ethical mining standards, right? That we put in place. So there's fair trade chocolate and there's mm-hmm. sustainably mined diamonds out of Canada, right? They were one of the first ones to have a certification around that, the polar diamonds. And so I think the industry will probably also move towards something like that and may already be doing that. Um, But that's another way to handle it, to make sure that if you want to have an ethically produced battery for any device, that you should have a way to do that. But that's not happened yet, as far as I know. Correct. And and when it comes to automobile manufacturers, a lot of those OEMs, you know, have stated policies that they're they're monitoring their supply chain network and they're they're looking at, you know, these kind of elements and moving away, you know, only dealing with suppliers that could be certified and that could be tested and, and proofed out um, that they're they're not, you know, um, uh, deploying any negative practices around some of these concerns. Yeah. And I actually have spoken to someone who used to work very high up at Tesla and and she said the same thing that you're saying, that they they weren't worried about it because they knew their own supply was very, you know, it was clean and ethically produced. But I don't think the industry hasn't done a great job of communicating that to the public. Right. And that that festers as a Mm -hmm. one of the rhetoric reasons why you don't get an EV. Yeah, exactly. Correct. So I think, you know, listeners can, can can be assured that there are much better practices. The reliance on some of the rare earth that you may hear is in jeopardy is we're being moved, moving away as again, as any technology advances. I mean, Toyota just came out with a statement earlier this week about that they develop a solid state battery. And if it's true, you know, 700 um, uh, kilometers, if, if I believe it was, so let's say 500 miles, something like that with a 10 minute charge time, and if that's proven to be, you know, the case, I mean, that is a game changer in, in the in the technology for batteries because solid state eliminates cobalt, to my understanding, eliminates a lot of the minerals that we don't need, eliminates the the impacts of climate on charging and on battery energy retention. Um, it's a lot of advantages with solid state. I know that a lot of developers. I've talked to companies that are moving to graphene and graphite instead, you know, in these kind of areas because of the properties it gives. So there's so much stuff happening that it's just going to get better. So we are, you know, when you look at that 2012 leaf that you got and, and how it was built back then towards where we are a short 10 years plus a decade longer, we've moved leaps and bounds in technology. Absolutely. And you know, I realized there was one other thing that sometimes I like to talk about when we're talking about environmental impacts, which is, you know, none of these, my original background is in environmental law and policy. Mm-hmm. So it's something I think about and care about quite a bit. It's very rarely black and white with choices, right? It's not like EVs don't pollute at all and gas vehicles pollute tons, right? There are trade-offs that are happening all and where that pollution happens and how that pollution happens. So mm-hmm. mining pollution is a concern and obviously you know child labor issues are a concern. Mm-hmm. However, on the flip side, emissions are a concern. 
So, you know, the emissions in this, in, in our country, in our world, that's local pollution, that's polluting the air. And it has very significant uh, implications on the, on the health of the population around, especially around transportation corridors, mm-hmm. it disproportionately is impacting minority communities. And so, you know, as soon as you, <laughs> if you're thinking about child welfare, removing emissions from, let's say, the school buses that are sitting and idling in those, you know, schools in these communities, that has a a very real, very measurable, improved life expectancy for the kids that are in that community. And so that's part of it, too. You know, the EVs are, they don't emit, they don't have local emissions. Their emissions are aggregated, or there may be none at all if it's coming from a, a green source like you know, wind or solar. And so that's a huge part of the benefit of EVs that I think also isn't talked about enough. Absolutely correct. You know, we could go down and spend another hour talking about the health implications of of EVs versus ICVs, but you're absolutely right. That's a huge uh, benefit that EVs give you um, in that, that people are unaware. And I just want to close up the environmental aspect as well by just stating that the, the, the last aspect of that whole food chain is the disposal and the life ending aspect of EVs where, you know, a high percentage, I mean, I've heard numbers, 90, 95% of those packs are recyclable. A lot of the, the cells can be broken down and those minerals put back into forms that can be put back into supply chain for reuse again and reclamation into battery cell manufacturing. So that, that whole circle of life aspect when you when you look at it as you've talked about a lot you have to really peel those layers and look at the entire wheel to well uh, cradle the grave aspect that evs are still um uh, come out better from a from a carbon impact overall even if you're coming from coal produced electricity and it's not static right i think that's what's so cool about it too so it's like we already know everything like looking at all of it evs Mm -hmm. are already significantly better but they're only going to get even better because our our power grids are getting greener. Our recycling technology is getting better. Our battery tech is getting better and cleaner all the time. So, you know, even today, it's an obvious win, but the projected wins are just so much larger. Yeah, and you can't say that with internal combustion vehicles. I think we've milked deficiencies and horsepower and torque out of uh, the internal combustions pretty well, right? I think, you know, may, might be very small improvements, but it is what it is, right? That technology, whereas, as you said, EVs have just continued to advance by leaps and bounds and they'll only get better over time and get even more efficient, get get more energy density, get better range, better um, attributes against climate and, and being able to handle cold and hot and these kind of things much better. Whereas the gas cars are virtually unchanged with very minor modifications for the foreseeable future, unless something that I don't know is coming along. Like, are we going to get a Mr. Fusion on a gas car? You know, like back to the future or what? (laughs) They're working on it, right? They're working on it somewhere. Pretty cool. We'll see what happens there. Yeah. Hydrogen is is something. And and I get a lot of people ask me about that. And, you know, I'm all for it if if we can consumerize it and we're just not there yet. So, so we have to go with what we have. And I think we do have that with EVs. Now, one last thing that let's jump on is, is, and you talked about it earlier, Kate, and you're absolutely correct is, that EVs is a little bit different ways of, of thinking, and they're not as intuitive as a gas car. I mean, we've had gas cars for 100 plus years, so we know what they're like. We know what, what they have to do. But, um, you know, what are your thoughts about, about EVs being not intuitive and how consumers can overcome that? 
So I hearken this back to when the iPhone came out, right? And I don't know if you remember, but people were like, I'm never giving up my flip phone. I need to push the buttons. It felt weird yeah. that it was a flat screen and the apps and the swiping. And you know. I'm broadly smiling because I, I mentioned <laughs> I do this EV 101 presentation and I talk about tipping points. And the first one I talk about is relative to jobs in the, in the iPhone presentation. So I'm, I'm very happy that you acknowledge that. Yeah, I, I mean. Continue, yeah. It is like that, right? It so is. the first time you get into a car and there's a touch screen, and at least we have we have the iPhone now to kind of relate it to, but mm-hmm. it's different. It it is just different. It feels different. Some of the vehicles, you know, there's like the keyless entry, the keyless start, the keyless exit. Yeah. You know, a friend of mine rented a, a Tesla for the first time mm-hmm. and she hadn't driven one. We hadn't talked about it, and uh she couldn't figure out how to turn it off. And they didn't tell her at the rental that you just walk away, you know, it takes a little while, but I think this is where exposure is everything, right? Mm -hmm. So demo days, I think are incredible. I think bringing, we like to bring vehicles to corporate campuses so that people can come and learn about them and test drive them and feel it. I think what you'll see, there's, um, there's a study and I, I can't remember who ran it right now. Mm -hmm. It was either out of Yale or Harvard. Anyway, it was about solar and it was mm-hmm. about solar adoption mimicking uh, like disease, right? <laughs> that like there's a viral nature to adoption. So your ch- your chance of getting solar panels goes up significantly if your neighbor has solar panels. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't seen anyone do that same study for EVs, but I am absolutely positive it follows the same curve right? we are we are creatures of habit and and sheep almost where we follow the trends in most parts so i i'm pretty sure that's happening yeah it, de- it demystifies it mm-hmm. it's that it's like you see it you touch it you ask your questions you take yeah. a ride in it so yeah. i just think that that's it's going to be um and most of those the truth is that most of those uh changes are improvements they're fun you know mm-hmm. that my kids my husband has a tesla he bought mm-hmm. used for thirty thousand dollars and my kids call it turbo mode, right? Yeah. That thing is fast with the torque. They love it. Like, um, you know, the, some of the automated driving features. There's, so, I mean, there's some very clever advancements and the safety mm-hmm. features that I think are really, they're genuine improvements on the car. Forget the fact that it's an EV. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that it's all bundled together is, you know, it's good and bad. I think it's like a little scarier for people Mm-hmm. to have so many things feel new. But I think it also, they will really appreciate them much like the iPhone once they start to use it. Absolutely. You know, and I think a lot of the OEMs are recognizing that fact that let's build cars that people will just get in and understand. So if I use the F-150 Lightning as an example, Ford did mm-hmm. a great job and not really changing it. Like you get, you know, a guy that has an F-150 gets into it. He knows it's an F-150. He knows where the buttons are and the controls. Yeah, it's got this this funky big screen. It's got some other things. But for the most part, it's a comfort thing and they can just get in and go. And and I think OEMs are realizing that, you know, Tesla is a different one where they want it to be minimalistic and it's very, very technology centric and that works for people. And you're right. It, it can be fear. You know, my wife was a little fearful of our Tesla when we first got it, but she drives it all over the place and and has no problems now. So there's a little bit of an upside adoption to the tech, but most OEMs just get in and drive the vehicle. Don't worry about efficiencies and kilowatt hours and all this stuff. Just 
get it in, whether it has a push button on or not, figure that out, learn that and just drive it, plug it in at night and rinse and repeat, right? And it's it's that simple, no emissions. You can precondition these things, you can warm them up. They've got regenerative braking, which helps save on wear and tear, uh, the safety elements to, to all electrics. I always talk about that in my presentations that they just inherently have safety characteristics that a lot of people don't talk about. Yes, not to say that, you know, a Volvo S90 is not a safe vehicle. Of course they are. But, you know, all electrics uh, that have been built from the ground up just have these characteristics of inherent safety. You know, we all remember the Model Y that was driven off a cliff in California a few months ago and, and how everybody survived a, a very catastrophic, uh, you know, 300 foot roll down a cliff. And, you know, whether I wouldn't try doing that again, but, you know, whether that could be done in a Ford expedition or not, I don't know, but I, I would hedge my bets that an all electric would probably come out a little better. So you're absolutely right. I think that that, that just that learning curve and, and doing these demo drives, getting, that's what we do as EVS and getting out there, try to get people into seats, you know, getting, getting butts in the seats, as we say, and getting them some stick time uh, yeah. helps a lot. Yeah. And actually we're talking about the fears and misconceptions. Another one is that you're going to plug it in. It's going to blow up. And, and to that, I say like, number one, if you actually look at the data, they have far fewer fires than gas vehicles, but also like, do you worry about your uh, washing machine catching your house on fire, your refrigerator, your phone? You know, it's like, it's just another a battery device with a cord. So yeah. as long as you're plugging it into the right socket, there's, there's no real risk there, you know, comparatively, it's very so that I think, again, is like the more people have them or using them, it's just yeah. some of these things are just fear tactics that are spread around. And unfortunately, right, there's there's some mm -hmm. active disinformation campaigns and it's scary because it's new. I get it. it exactly. It, it, you know, in the U.S., there's 100 car fires a day in internal combustion, maybe more. And I don't think they're all on the news, but one Tesla catches fire and it makes national news. So, you know, it's just it's a perception and how people view that. But, you know, very minimal. I mean, you look at GM with the bolt recall. I mean, they only had about a dozen or so fires and they recalled and fixed over 120,000 vehicles on, on 12 or 14 cases. I mean, that's just unheard of. Uh, you know, the odds of catching a fire are so low, you, you'd be hit by lightning. I think, or win the super lottery, probably better chances than, than a fire and a bolt. So it just gets blown out of proportion and uh, and gets misled. Any any final comments? And I think we we've, we've been really good at going over some of those concerns and about and consumer fears about EVs and debunking those. Anything you want to close on? No, just that I think that you know podcasts like this one and efforts to just share more and more information and talk about fears. And I think people should should feel okay talking about what their concerns are without feeling like they have to take a stance. I just hope that they have an open mm -hmm. mind, they're listening, that they're testing. And I would say if you have any any doubts, just, just go drive one, right? Go drive one, see how it feels. Exactly. And I think the realism approach that I'm sure you would take as well as I do is that, like, I know that EVs don't work for everybody. There are use cases where I would say, you know what, maybe not right now. So we get that taking that approach. It's not just a fanboy or fangirl ish approach that you have to have a Tesla or whatever. Um, you know, there's the good thing is that there's so much choice and more choice continues to come out year after year more OEMs get on, the prices are coming down, more infrastructure. So the movement is there and it's a great time to get into it. I guess the last thing I would say, we talked about it a little bit in the very beginning, but you know, there right now, 
the government, our government, I think the Canadian government mm-hmm. and governments all over the world, they're really pushing money into EVs. Mm-hmm. And so there is a huge benefit to early adopters, right? Not only do you get all the savings that you would have of driving the electric vehicle because they cost less to, to drive, but there is all this sort of like cash, there's a cash grab moment for companies too, right? Mm-hmm. So I think... Um, I just try to think about that also from an equity perspective, right? I really want more women driving EVs. I really want more, mm-hmm. you know, people living in marginalized areas to have access to EVs, to know yes. about that and to be educated. And so I think that's where, you know, things like this podcast are so helpful, just trying to, to spread the news far and wide about the opportunities. So thank 100, you. 100% agree. And it's interesting, Kate, that uh, you, you and I have such, we're so aligned on this topic without meeting you before and talking to you before, it's really refreshing to see that viewpoint because uh, I, I go out and about and talk to a lot of folks and um, also on, on media and stuff. And it's a very similar uh, mindset. So I really want to thank you for taking the time to help, uh, you know, give listeners some some food for thought and, you know, be uh, think out of the box a little bit and be open-minded um, as you continue to uh, to develop uh, your company, Move EV, an EV transition company powered by AI Back Green Solutions. Again, looking at moving uh, municipal fleets and employee-owned uh, gas vehicles to take advantage of electric and all the other efforts that you do. I want to thank you very much for taking the time and continue to follow your success. And maybe at some point we'll we'll meet at some conference or have an ability to meet up. I, I'd love to get down to Maryland. I think that where you mentioned that you guys are working out of. Um, I interviewed um, uh, John from Motor uh, Motor Week, and he's a big uh, John Davies. He's a, he's a big icon for me, and I know he's down in that neck of the woods. And got an open invitation to come down one day, so uh, maybe we'll we'll do lunch or something. That would be wonderful. That'd be fantastic. Well, thanks a lot, Kate. I really appreciate your time, and uh, all the best. Thank you, Ken. Thanks again for listening, folks. You can email me if you have comments. Email at ev revolution show at gmail.com follow me on twitter at ev rev show i'm also on instagram ev revolution show and if you uh, have any suggestions for shows please let me know thanks again for listening and please everybody stay safe and until the next time i'll see you when i see you